Hey everybody, Timothy Stafford and Michael Leary here. We're so glad you're tuning in. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. We uh, can be found on voxologypodcast.com, anywhere podcasts are played. Um, and uh, we're delighted to be with you today. We have a whole bunch of stuff we, uh, we've got to get to. Whole but I want to start off, we... Um, uh, we really value the feedback that we get and over the course of uh six and a half years uh every now and again we we like to read uh feedback on the air and this person was nice enough to write in and then give us permission uh to say this and so uh she writes i am a new listener to the voxology to the vox podcast um the mother of a queer christian daughter who was married and someone who was rethinking my faith having left two evangelical churches in the past two years. I tuned into the podcast with author Bridget Rivera, hoping to hear a discussion on how the church has harmed gay people. Instead, what I got were two men who seemed very uncomfortable with the topic and who asked questions that were interesting, as were the answers, but made a wide, all-cap circle around naming the harms the church has caused. When you jump to how can the church repent, I was very disappointed how easy it would have been to ask her how she had been harmed and then actually demonstrate asking forgiveness. You missed a huge opportunity and I left thinking you were actually just plugging her book, another example of the capitalist church in action. Not sure I will listen again. Oof. Right. Any thoughts, Timothy, or you want me to swing at it? I agree with her and i'm sorry i think we could have it's tough because it was we were trying to give bridget a place to speak about what she wanted to speak about and yeah she does have a book and we don't get profits from that so i don't think it was necessarily a capitalistic um, book plugging event but i'm sure we could have left more space for authentic like conversation around that topic uh, around the pain caused. And I don't remember exactly how the conversation went. I don't remember the repentance part or, or what exactly, but, um, I know that I know that I can always do better at that. Mm -hmm. I received that criticism. Absolutely. A part of, part of it for me was this is the second time we've interviewed her. So I right. was I was going away or thinking in my brain of going away from her personal story, which we'd explored on the earlier episode. It's true, and and doing the book because absolutely, I mean, we wouldn't do the book if we didn't want people to be exposed to the content. So yeah. I was, and I and I have this weird tension where I don't want to spoil the book, but I want to do enough so that people right. will read it. And so I felt like, I don't know, um, but I, I absolutely received this as well. And I'm super grateful that you wrote in and it's okay to not listen again. Um, we have loads of people who make that same decision. <laughs> so it's, it's but, really, you know, I it's think, okay. You know, we'd love you to keep listening. And I think that that was, you know, that hits close to home for the, for the woman writing in. And I get that. And 
it's hard when you talk about a lot of these big topics like this because you you it's easy to forget or it's easy to detach it from the actual flesh and blood mm-hmm. you know because it's i don't know we're just so inundated with so much information that it's easy to turn it into just that like mm-hmm. kind of going through information rather than being like no this is humans yeah that are being hurt yeah so yep um, so great critique, great critique. Excuse me. We receive it. Thank you so much for writing in, and um, and I'll uh, she'd ask to let me know when we respond. So I'll let her know. Um, we also, not surprisingly, uh, have some f- more feedback on the missions convo. Oh boy. Um, well, this I, I'm waiting for our emailer from last episode because those were such a, a thoughtful set of questions. I know. He's probably got another one brewing, but um, we got a couple of book recommendations from our folks. One is uh, When Helping Hurts Hmm. by Corbett and Fickert, and I've heard of that one, Um, and and this is one of the books. Oh, my goodness, yes. This is one of the books that sort of woke me up to, oh, oh, maybe this isn't the best way to go about this. and then another uh, listener wrote in and said they, they wrote another book called uh, Helping Without Hurting in Short-Term Missions. Hmm. Same authors. I didn't know about that one. Helping Without Hurting? Right, in Short-Term Missions. So I don't know anything about that one, but again, um, if it's like the, the book that I read, it would be very thought-provoking and helpful. Um, our friend... Uh, Another one of our friends emailed in and said, two things from this week's podcast I just wanted to throw a thought at. So you throw, we'll catch. The first is something Mike said. This is in pushback, only a gentle question. You said, I don't see the gospel as a message. And I wonder if we could clarify terms a bit better. When you said the gospel, did you mean the kingdom? Since the word gospel means good news, it's not good news about, is it not good news about the kingdom? So the kingdom is the reality the gospel points to. I just want to make sure I'm hearing things correctly. And and I think that is a great clarification. Dear emailer, uh, yes, I'm trying to get away from understanding the gospel as a set of propositions that I'm inviting people to mentally agree with. Yeah, totally. And I'm trying to see the gospel not only for others, but primarily for myself as a reality that I step into and point out whenever I see that it's present, which of course it always is, but I don't always notice. Right. So yes, the uh, uh, announcements, good news. And N.T. Wright starts one of his books by reflecting on this, um, that, that good news in the Roman world was about something that happened. It wasn't about something people believed. Hmm. Um, it was about something that had happened in real history that was good news for the Roman Empire, which it you know really meant good news for those in power in the Roman Empire. And he just keeps pointing out that we use good news as if it were if that were the thing. If I'm just preaching the gospel, then I'm just talking. Uh, and inviting people to pray in their hearts to accept Jesus. And I'm just, I just want to say, no, no, the gospel is the announcement of something that has happened as a result 
of which uh, reality is different now. And, um, and, and so we just get to point that out, not in some abstract set of propositions, but in the middle of like real things that are happening and, and instances where we see truth, goodness, and beauty. Yeah. I like that. You know that. what I mean, but you, my friend, did not get off from, uh, from thoughtful questions either. <laughs> the second question I have is something Tim said in regards to missions trip. Is this just something we invented? Uh, and he, he writes, didn't we invent all of this? We didn't invent Jesus, his teaching, or the kingdom. But this church thing, isn't it an invention? Made in cooperation with the Holy Spirit as a community, but didn't we invent all this? By we, of course, I'm referring to the church throughout the ages. I guess my next question is, is it a bad thing that we are inventing stuff? Shouldn't each generation be inventing stuff? Not inventing the gospel or the kingdom, but inventing how we express the gospel and inhabit the kingdom. Won't it always look different every time in every context? Doesn't it have to? Yeah. It does. And it should. (laughs) I think that's what we were advocating for. Like, this is... Or even in the deconstruction conversation that we were advocating that it's more of a discipleship thing than it is, you know, just tearing something apart. It's reassessing and growing from and learning more. For some reason, God wasn't abundantly clear, didn't give instruction manuals on every facet of human Mm -hmm. life. So that means we have to navigate with a huge amount of discernment and creativity, which I think is what I said last time. So looking at the model and saying... Yeah, we invented this, and guess what? I don't think it works. Let's reinvent it. Let's reassess. Let's revisit. Well said. You'll find no argument from our emailer, Nick, however. Oh, okay. Who says, uh, Tim riffing on missions trips reminds me of a guy who spent his entire life living and ministering in the nation of Chad. Uh, He mentioned something that blew my mind. He said, during his time in Chad, he actually did see a significant amount of Western missionaries come through. They all had great sponsorships from churches and missions groups. So these had some serious hardcore backing from home. But one thing that blew me away was that when he asked the groups if if, uh, we knew how long these folks had trained for their multi-year missions commitments, most guessed multiple years or at least months, But this guy from Chad said, uh, after surveying the new arrivals, that the average training for new multi-year missionaries was two weeks. (laughs) He said most of them would hang out in their homes and send off reports to the folks back home and how great they were doing. They didn't interact much with the locals because they couldn't. They had no service or mission plan. They just hung out for their term and then went home. And that, of course, is what we're warning against is the the whatever paradigm that led to that yeah um and 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 we don't want to throw out everything like we were talking about last week i mean i think there is a missionary impulse at the heart of god right the the leaving the 99 and searching the one but i i think how we conceive of the missionary heart of god isn't always in line with the missionary heart of god is revealed in the scripture and um as you say just needs rethought um so thank you as always um for feedback we're going to do a midweek episode um around a bunch of questions we've gotten uh regarding church and um and this is one of the ways we're, we're trying to respond um to folks you guys constantly and encouragingly 
email in and it is a, a wonderful and beautiful thing and we learn and grow um a lot what, what were you laughing at i was just thinking through some of the responses or pushback emails that we got and we got one that was like she her title of the email was like in punctuated words like do not knock captain marvel and oh the, yeah that's my friend Kristen, and she but her <laughs> the, but the but the like she's got some serious email, but uh, like a set of questions in there that's incredibly profound. Yeah. But it's like you don't answer that back with two words. No. You know. <laughs> so it's like it just sits there waiting to be. But I will, and the two words are Brie Larson. Oh, is Brie Larson? She was Captain Marvel. She was the only thing that took me out of that film. Okay. All right. Everything got else it. I was on, on board for, but. Okay. That's fair. Um, I'm not sure I like that Nick Fury lost his eye due to, to a, a cat. A, a cat. <laughs> yeah, it was a little um, anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that seems a little odd. But all right, so um, on to content for today. Onward. Um, I'm trying desperately to to not make this so thick and failing miserably, failing miserably. That one of the great. Um, curses and joys of my life is i have something that the strength finder test called input which means <laughs> um i i am constantly devouring uh things material thoughts books and uh, i never want to like definitively speak on something unless i've read everything out there on it and and not and it's not because i'm you know because I've got to show everyone how smart I am. It's because um, uh, I I'm. It's like a form of OCD, where <laughs> I just have to. So so this thing keeps getting bigger the more weeks well, I spend on it. I love it. You have a you have a weird, wonderful, magical brain that I can't wrap my head around. The way that you can like take in, process, but then retain information is pretty remarkable well i liken it to a bird you know i <laughs> i eat the worm and then i regurgitate it into the mouths of chicks that's a perfect metaphor and no it's not that's horrible. it is and i'm sitting it, here just like ah. <laughs> all right so we're looking at uh the story of the kingdom and how paul's great faith words faith grace saved and works sort of fit into that story and we started off with saved because it's the big one. And we've done a couple of episodes on what it means to be saved. And then we started an, an episode on what it, what we're saved from. And that's turned into two episodes. So we said last episode, uh, the story of what we're saved from is both a story of space and a story of time. And I'm going to very quickly review some of the high points uh, of last episode so that we can set up uh, Paul's discussion in the book of Romans, and again, channeling all the smart people. Um, when we begin um, in Genesis 1, we're met with order and chaos, or order um, slash cosmos and um, chaos, the idea, the chaos meaning purposelessness, functionlessness, meaninglessness, disorder, and that God brings order to this wild and waste state of affairs by filling and forming. 
Um, and uh, the, the picture is of a king preparing a temple, which is all of creation, where he will dwell and creating at the center or the heart of that temple a garden, which was very common in ancient Near Eastern temples, and placing in that garden another thing that was very common in ancient Near Eastern temples, images of his rule and authority. They were not the deity, uh, uh, but they were more than just representations of the deity. They were manifestations of his rule and authority. And so these image bearers in Genesis are given two um, two lines of vocation, one kingly, they will rule, one priestly, they will worship and serve. And that this way of living, the Bible later declares to be that of worship. It's a mode of life, not 18 minutes of songs. And the result of that mode of living is called life. The, the Bible immediately contrasts, beginning in Genesis 3 all the way through Genesis 11, another way of living where God grieves over the fact that the image bearers are no longer imaging God. They've invited, because they've uh, failed both as kings and priests, they have allowed chaos into the garden. And the image we get is a polluted temple space. That instead of the universe functioning as a temple with God dwelling and resting and, and um, reigning through his image bearers, now the image bearers, um, have fallen short of that vocation and they now sit being ruled by not only uh, creation itself because they now image created things rather than the creator but they're also uh, enslaved to cosmic powers uh, and we see some intimation of their rebellion in Genesis chapter 6. All of this comes to a head in the flood where God lets the waters of chaos do their thing um, and then he starts almost the project over again with this righteous man, Noah, um, who we realize um, isn't going to image God perfectly either. And so the low point, the biblical story is the Tower of Babel, the formation of what will be Babylon, which is the representation of the counter kingdom, the humans form with the powers and principalities in opposition to the rule of God. God mm. now, God now begins the Eden project. He does it in miniature and he does it in now in the context of sin and cosmic enslavement. And so he selects a man, Abram and his wife, um, gifts them with descendants, and then begins the project of forming them into a people out of slavery into liberation and gives them a charter, the Torah, which is to organize them as a community uh, through which God will dwell. And because it's now in the context of polluted temple space, we begin to see images of the sin of the people, not just of Israel, but of all the people as pollution. And we see the, the center, the Holy of Holies, both of the tabernacle and the temple as a place where God resides, but it must be purified uh, to cleanse um, it from the pollution of not only the people, the high priest, but also the nations. And so you get this image of, of a God who rules over everything but manifests his presence in new, newly cleansed temple space over the mercy seat or the atonement cover of the temple. And that, in a very small way, is where we left things off. 
There is another mode of life in Genesis contrasted with the life of worship, the mode of life of worship which leads to life. This is another mode of life called idolatry and it leads to death. These are the only modes of life available to human beings. We will image something. That's just simply what we do and who we are. An image is identity. It's not image isn't just an action word, but it's how we see ourselves and our place in the created order. Do we see ourselves as mirrors reflecting God's goodness into creation and reflecting creation back to God? Or do we see ourselves um, as the, the first Babylonians did, as making a name for themselves through their own image bearing and power? And so the Bible kind of renders a verdict um, over the human project that was just called sin. It just means fail. Um, it's fallen short. It's uh, the hum human beings are not rendering accurately the character of God in to creation through their image bearing. And they themselves are now enslaved to cosmic powers. So that's the situation that Jesus has come to remedy. There's nothing in that Jewish story about going to heaven when you die or um, uh, uh, accepting Yahweh in your heart. This is all about what God is doing very publicly in the world. When we get to Romans, and um, I, am, I am doing so much oversimplifying and so much skimming, it makes me absolutely sick. But <laughs> the more I dive into Romans, the more I'm just personally convinced, wow, I've really misunderstood this book. I've made it about me having individual sin and getting um, righteousness because I believed in Jesus. And then the second part of the book is about now how do I wage war against the sin that's in my body? The problems with that are legion, but the two foremost of which is that Paul is speaking exclusively in communal terms. All of the yous are plural. Uh, even the body image is not about my body. It's about the members of the church and the sin that's indwelling the divisions within the church. And so just it, it's, it's a radically different book when you start reading it communally. But then, and this is the gift of Gombas and all those he's channeling, you read it cosmically as well. That sin and death aren't just passive things out there that are happening to people, but sin and death are cosmic actors and part of a alliance, if you will, of, um, of powers and principalities that also include um, this Satan, this cosmic being, um, and other cosmic beings and principalities and powers. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, that's all in summary. <laughs> So when Paul in uh, Romans 1.18, and I'll be reading some texts, and again, I'm not doing any of it justice. Um, but I just want to draw together some of the threads that we covered last episode and show how Paul kind of refracts them into uh, Christian communities. Um, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people. Now, the wrath of God, that's, that's an interesting expression here because wrath is spoken of really uh, in a complicated way in the book of Romans. There are a couple times where God is mentioned where it's like the wrath of God or God's wrath. But then there are more times where wrath is 
spoken of without any mention of God, as if it existed on its own terms and in its own state. That's interesting. So, so, and again, this is where big theological debates lie. Um, what is is wrath? Is wrath something that God pours out on people? Is <clears throat> or is wrath? the the natural state of affairs when one lives um in idolatry and the mode of life that leads to death is wrath the inevitable outcome of that state of affairs or is it some combination of both yeah uh, as someone new ish within the last five years to this conversation i'm more inclined to think that the normative way of understanding this is um, that wrath is one of the words for the cosmic space um, that is normal for human beings to inhabit. So that that when we do evil to each other, wrath is the inevitable result. Yeah, I think that right. makes sense. Well, I, I do too, but there are times like Ananias and Sapphira where this, this, this anger of God or this power of God breaks out and there's debate, Greg Boyd de debates whether or not that was Peter's doing or God's doing. And, you know, but, but you have to, that's a data point that has to factor in at some point, right? Yeah. Or if you would touch the ark, you would die. Um, <laughs> if you open that, the lid, your face will melt. Well, absolutely. That is in there too. Um, but it's interesting just that what I didn't know is that wrath is spoken of in almost these third person ways as if it were as if it had agency we'll see that yeah. in a little bit like wrath enters wrath seizes wrath corrupts it, it's it's um it it is a subject that has verbs attached to it yeah which and again okay we just that's <laughs> something else we have to factor in so the typical wrath story of god being angry because he's holy and pouring out wrath on people, it's more, at minimally, you have to admit it's more complicated than that. Totally. You yeah. don't have to totally buy the, the cosmic realm idea, but at least let's begin by saying, okay, let's relook at the passages. Yeah, let's make a little room around it for it to be yes. larger than what we... Exact, exactly right. So in this instance, it's the wrath of God. Now, Gambus has a very specific take that we'll get to on what the of God part means. So we'll get to that in a little bit. So here's the wrath of God is being revealed. And, and this is something that's interesting because notice it's already present. It's not being poured out, but it's being revealed, hmm. um, which is just an interesting, like it, it, the assumption is that it's been here, right. that wrath is already here, but it's being revealed. Yeah. Um, which again, we could have all sorts of interesting conversation, but it's against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now, the word wickedness is the very opposite word of righteousness. So you're going to get a ton of wicked and righteous language throughout Romans. Righteousness is justice, right? It's, um, it's uh, the public shalom making of people in community. That's what mm -hmm. justice is. And that, that is the same word we translate as righteousness. Wickedness um, is adakia, which Gombas, you know, spends a lot of time on. 
but it is it is similarly a relational concept that roughly translates injustice hmm. so the, a lot of the sins almost all of the sins that paul's going to list in this kind of massive list in romans 1 they're all public social dynamic sins. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're yes. So the pollution isn't just that we individuals are sinners. The pollution is that we engage in dynamics that are degrading and dehumanizing to ourselves and others. Yeah. Right? It's a communal, it's a communal project that's at play here. Because the image, remember, the image is communal. Yeah. Right? Male and female, the whole image bearing was communal. So it's not surprising that the corruption is communal too. So the wrath of God is being revealed against heaven, against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their adakia, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now, this is in reference to our image bearing, right? We were to demonstrate in creation God's character. Right. So notice what Paul says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. In other words, we we know, I think this is what he's saying, we know deep down what our true vocation is right. and how it relates to, uh, to God and the world and to self and to others. And yet there's this almost... And, and there's a part of it that's willful, and there's a part of it that because we're enslaved. Like, yeah. both are true. Now, Paul is going to highlight three exchanges, that two exchanges that we've made, and then three ways that we are given over. So this is the form that God's wrath takes here, is being given over. Now, that, again, fits if you're understanding wrath as something that is being revealed. Namely, it's, it, is, um, it is a state of affairs that exists outside of Christ. That whole mode of living is idolatry. The result is death. Um, but in the present, the present experience of that way of living is wrath. Hmm. And, um, and so wrath here doesn't mean um, uh, being sent to hell. Wrath here means... Uh, we know exactly what wrath is like. I mean, just go ahead and um, um, become the kind of person who readily slanders others, right? Or uh, steals from others, or um, you know, um, uh, props themselves up with ego. Yeah, and um, those rewards that you seek are the rewards that you you get receive. Yeah, but that that way of living. The atmosphere of that way of living is wrath. Yeah. Because the community will not, I mean, it's just this never ending cycle of pushback and pushback and harm for harm and whatever yeah. else. Yeah. So the first exchange for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory. Remember, that's an image-bearing vocation word. The glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, he's going to say the same thing several different times. He's not. It's not like he's saying, and then this happened and it got worse. He's saying, no, no, no. Here are three ways that human beings have been given over because they are now subject willingly at times to the powers and principalities. The second one comes in verse 24. Therefore, 
God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. Now, the word sexual impurity here literally means ritual uncleanness. That is a temple word. The idea is that um, we live and contribute to polluted space. Hmm. Right? Because we failed to image God, we are victims of polluted space and contributors Contributors, to polluted space. And this works itself out, Paul says, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now, bodies, this is something Gomez wrote an article on that was super fascinating. Idolatry always leads to the destruction of the body. It always has bodily consequences. And we see that I mean, it could be food, it could be alcohol, it could be sexual promiscuity. I mean, those all manifest uh, themselves in consequences that that we would um, uh, label wrath, hmm. um, right? That, that that it's not God giving you cirrhosis of the liver right. um, or you know lung cancer because you've smoked. It's like, well, that's the inevitable result of a certain way of living. Right. Me as a heavy guy overindulging in food, there's a there is a natural built-in cost to that. Yeah. Um that you knowingly choose into. Yes, that's bodily. Yeah. That's bodily. Because remember, salvation is the renewal of the human person, which is embodied. Yeah. So our salvation includes our bodies, is the big point, one of the big points we've been trying to make. So again, God gave them over. Um so they exchanged the glory of God for images. Then God gave them over to sinful desires, to this polluted space. They exchanged, here's the second exchange, the truth of God um, for a lie. And then they worshiped and served created things. So he's saying the same thing again, right? The exchange was that we, we don't image God, but we now image other things. Right, and that this has disastrous consequences for us, our bodies, and for the social dynamic, right? That is the wrath, and ultimately leads to death and destruction. Makes sense so far, ish. Yeah. Yes. Again, skipping so much, but notice the words he uses. We have worshipped and served created things. That's vocabulary from Genesis two about what our original vocation was to be. Because of this. So here's the third giving over. (coughs) So we have two exchanges and three givings over. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, Paul, now, obviously massive amount of discussion about what you know because these are the ver- this is one oh, section yeah. of the verses that are used and and certainly paul is using um same-sex genital activity to illustrate the the de- degradation of the body that what is natural in paul's mind is no longer natural now there's tons of debate over was he just referencing um men who were heterosexual who engaged in homosexual sex acts with young boys i mean what what exactly is in view here 
And Gombas, not surprisingly, has an incredible 15-minute section at the end of his episode on this, just about how to use these verses, because they're actually part of a rhetorical trap that uh, Paul is using to set up a group of people who are judging the Gentiles this way. So we just have to be, it's more complicated, Yeah, is the idea. Now, Can I ask a quick question? Yes. All of the gave gave them over language. How does that? What does that mean? That's a great question, and I I say this with fifty six percent confidence. All right. <laughs> um, uh, because of this phrase, uh, and and people received in themselves the due penalty for their error. That that God, um, it's it's like um, uh, let's see a. Uh, a, a grieving parent who has a son who is addicted to drugs, who steals from the family, harms a sibling. You've done everything in your power to interrupt that cycle, to show mercy, compassion, and kindness. But at some point, you actually have to take your hands off and you remove them from your household so they can do no, they cannot harm another of your family you give them over yeah to their addiction and in biblical reckoning that i think is the harshest penalty because yeah. you, 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 you would assume that means god's taking his hands off correct so that would be so that's the shock sense, right the what is the yeah. wrath what is the wrath well it's being revealed well what's being revealed the giving over of god to people to pollution yeah Right. I've I've heard so many people struggle with that idea. You know, obviously there's just like the blanket statements of God or God being in control, which we've addressed. God is in control of everything, or that God never give you know, all those rhetorical phrases. God never gives you more than you can handle, God never right. abandons you, da 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 da. But then something like saying Well, I think that's true in general terms. Right. But I do think there is a hardening of our hearts that as as image bearers we still have a choice whether to image god or not and it shows the whole nuance of that idea is so much more than just a couple rhetorical phrases yes yeah sin so on this accounting sin isn't a minor mistake or lapse every now and again exactly yeah sin is sin is the given overness of of people to whatever it is they're imaging yeah and it's the inevitable result. It's not like something God, God doesn't have to introduce something new here. Right. It's just what happens in this mode of life. Yeah. And we're all familiar with it. Because that then he says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind, so they do what ought not to be done. Now, here's the list of Adakia. All right. Notice, they've become filled with every kind of adakia, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's a lot going on here. Notice Paul is speaking in terms of they. So, um, and um, one of the things that Romans commentators will point out that there, there's other Jewish literature like this 
it's kind of a diatribe against the Gentile nations, but Paul is using this rhetorically to set up people in the Roman house churches that were condemning what Gombas thinks is happening. And again, I can't commend his stuff. It's thick, but go listen to it. Is that there are Jewish, there are, um, there are the church, the, the Roman churches are made up of Gentiles. And there are some Gentiles who think by assuming a Jewish identity, they gain favor with God. Hmm. And there are other Gentiles who don't think that. And what Paul's doing is he's undercutting the group that is boasting about their superior status by quoting a diatribe against the Gentiles. And then in chapter two, he's going to say, yeah, but this, this whole story is your story too, because you're Gentiles. And so we just have to be super careful with what Paul's doing here. It's a bigger, this isn't Paul presenting the gospel. This is Paul pastoring a community, um, one group of which sees itself as superior over another group. And this is his opening shot. <laughs> so all kinds of stuff happening here that are beyond, but I just want you to see Adakia is social. Yeah, wickedness. Right? Those, are, those are all, yes, exactly right. Now, again, I'm skipping so much. Uh, in chapter two, um, Paul has this interesting um, set of uh, thoughts where he says, verse seven, to those who, her, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, those are image-bearing words, God will give eternal life. Okay? So those who by persistence in doing good. And what does that mean? What well, means this true humanity thing? Seeking glory, honor, and immortality, right? It's what it is to be human, right? The tree of life. Right. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, again, communal, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Now, one of the things that's noted is that God gives eternal life to the good, but to the evil, there will be wrath and anger. So Paul could have easily have said, well, to one, God will give eternal life, and to the other, God will give wrath. Right. But instead, there's almost this sense of, no, 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 if you persist in, he's contrasting two modes of life. Right. One that pursues glory, honor, and immortality, image-bearing, and the other that is the natural fruit of imaging something other than the creator, right? Self-seeking, reject truth, follow evil. For them, all that there is is wrath. Yeah, it's crazy how we have completely perverted seeking glory, honor, and immortality, and the way that we have built those modes. Right sit in the other camp oh totally yes <laughs> we, exactly we, like exalt them as like this is this is what it means to seek glory honor and immortality and they're all self-serving right evil modes but the picture the big point even if you're totally confused like us the big <laughs> the big point is that there 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 are these two realms that yeah, seem totally. to exist that god created cosmic temple space but that's been polluted yeah and so there was the tabernacle and there was the temple and now god's creating new creation space through jesus to address this 
cosmic enslavement and the fact that we don't image things. And so he's painting in very dark colors to show how deep the problem goes. The issue isn't that we run afoul of God's sort of, um, you know, uh, arbitrary standards. It's that, it's that our identity, um, our vocation in the world, our self-understandings, I mean, all of it has been corrupted. And we sit in this place of being victims and victimizers. Yeah. And, and, and the over whole- Over and over and over. Over and over and over, unleashing the dynamics of wrath on each other, but also participating in the dynamics of sin and death and the cosmic powers yeah. that lead to death and destruction. Yeah. All right? So it's just it's it's just fascinating that he's contrasting modes of life. Yeah. Here, um, and so um, you get this picture, and, and now we're going to get to chapter three. And this, good lord, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, this is why um, I just I've never studied Romans greatly because it's so insanely crazy. I mean, this next check, but there's only one. So I'm skipping stuff and I know it, but I'm trying to make an overall, a paint an overall picture that's consistent throughout the Bible. It's crazy that you're, the way you're talking about Romans right now. And I've heard, we've heard like, you know, those handful of guests that you've mentioned that we have had on that talk about it and then how used this book is. Like it's one of the most oft quoted and used yes. texts. And, and Paul in, man, and oh my goodness, Gambas Ignite have field days. Well, so does NT have field days with this. But the fact that the powers have hijacked Torah, yeah, totally in the Roman house churches to cause division. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, has massive implications for how the powers will take the way the Bible is used today to do yeah. the very same thing. Which is so wild. Wild, we say. So Romans three, but now. Apart from Torah, the justice of God has been made known, through which the law and the prophets testify. This justice is given through faith or the faithfulness of Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all lack the glory of God. So that's his point. Even assuming a Jewish identity, Gentiles, is irrelevant when it comes to what the basis from which God justifies, right? And again, this is incredible stuff it's that not I'm just skipping. a name, it's a mode of living. Correct. And so even if you are a Gentile playing at being Jewish, yeah. you are, that, that story that Paul tells in chapter one about they, 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 yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's still true of you. Yeah, and me. Um, and he's gonna say, changing your identity through keeping Jewish identity markers does not find you favor with God because even if you could keep Jewish identity in Torah, you still lack the the glory or image of God. Yeah. So now here's the point, and this is where we get into new creation space. And this is why we had this tour about sin is pollution and the mercy seat offering cleansing. Yeah. And this was something that just blew my mind a couple of years ago. <laughs> God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Now, what I thought that meant is that God presented Jesus on the cross and he died for our sins. Right. 
but that's not what's being referred to here. Yeah. There's even a little footnote in my English NIV Bible that says, that has that translation, but then says, no, this is in reference to the mercy seat. All right? So God put Christ forward as the mercy seat. And what's fascinating, um, he presented Christ as the mercy seat through the shedding of his own blood. So the big thing that, that Hebrews makes a massive deal out of is that the blood that was used to cleanse the mercy seat was Jesus' own blood. So it's not in reference to Jesus dying for our sins, although his blood was shed when he died. It's the idea that Jesus has purified new creation space for us because the blood that he offered was different from the blood of goats and bulls and everything else. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so now there exists... As there was pictured in Israel, new creation space where God dwells. And that space is the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, one of Paul's, I think it's a hundred and over 60 times, 160 times, Paul uses the phrase in Christ. Now, what does in Christ mean? Well, on the old story, that means I've swapped my sin for his righteousness. And when God sees me, he sees Jesus. And, and maybe that's a part of it. Here in Christ means you've, you are now dwelling in the cosmic space of new creation accomplished by the work of Jesus called justification, which includes both the restoration of the image of being human as we're transformed into the image of God and the full and final defeat of the cosmic enslaving powers, though they're still on the field. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, but that, I mean, but that's the idea is that the, that in Christ there is purified temple space to now regain the full human vocation. Right, so you, you look at that verbiage, Jesus dying for your sins, and we would hear what, like the rose-colored lens or whatever that God, Jesus becomes the lens that, I don't remember how preachers used to say it, Jesus would become yeah. the lens, the purifying lens that God would see you through, whatever. But in lieu of all this, Jesus dying for your sins, understanding what how much bigger sin is in the idea of participating in something that brings wrath and judgment that is both cosmic or spiritual and physical of us choosing into it. Jesus dying to create to, for our sins is to create that space that we can knowingly choose into, to live in the vocation and the life that we were meant to inhabit in the first place. Correct. So it's not a momentary thing just to even hearken it back to that's right how we try to atone for our sins growing up um nailing our sins to a physical cross at summer camp or right, whatever right. and there's a place for acknowledgement of our yeah but sin. that's bigger, part of and there's it's this participatory right choosing into this space that jesus has created to break those cycles of sin that i continually inhabit right both out of the entrenching of a spiritual entity that I don't fully understand, but also knowingly and comfortably choosing into a mode that I feel like when you're talking about like stealing, 
and then there's a there's a if stealing from your community and there's a wrath that that is incurred upon that um the idea of stealing is just like i'm going to take what i want because i want it it is mm-hmm. something that i think i need and that i desire and so the easiest form of doing that is to say i that is what i want so i will take it right and so that it's an interesting like the front side of sin in that way is often just that simple of a selfish right. way yeah. of of yeah. trying to build what i want and then creating a space that breaks that cycle is so much bigger than right i don't know i'm trying to i'm trying to break it all down into like layman's terms well i think i, I think we'll need one more episode where we do that yeah <laughs> it's a lot it is it's so much and i'm not doing it at all justice no i think you're all. doing a wonderful job it's i'm just, just I'm trying to paint an overly simplified picture. Yeah. Because what it turns out that we're saved from is wrath. Right. And we are saved from sin and destruction. There's just so much bigger than what we... Yes. We, the in Christ realm, um, to be in the, in, to, to not be in the saved community is to be subject to the powers of sin and death and the force of wrath. Yeah. Right. And, and I think what Paul and Jesus both teach is that that whole way of living, that whole mode of life and all the powers and principalities and the atmosphere that is breathed in that way of life is all going to destruction. Yeah. Paul will say the gods of this age who are coming to nothing. So um, wh- where I'm driving at is I don't think. That's interesting, too, because that's a now and not yet. Absolutely. So that's why this is a story of time. Yeah. So yeah, we haven't gotten to the story of time yet. Yeah. We're still just on the story of space. There's new creation space now. But to be outside of new creation space is to be in danger of the dynamics of sin and death and wrath. Yeah. Yep. And what do sin where do sin, death, and wrath lead? Well, according to the Bible, they are destroyed. Right? The last enemy to be destroyed is death, says Paul. And the metaphor that Jesus uses of Gehenna was a metaphor for destruction. Lake of fire is a metaphor for destruction. I do not think the Bible teaches eternal conscious torment. And um, I I just don't think the evidence bears that out. I think there are a couple of references that use the phrase, you know, they'll be tormented forever and ever. And that's a reference back to Sodom and Gomorrah, where the smoke rises is a testament to their destruction, but that's not ongoing destruction. And I've gotten in, I've gotten in a lot of trouble for um, evolving on this issue, not because, um, ooh, it's just so much nicer um, for people, uh, but I, I think that's what the scripture teaches from the very beginning. Right, the disobedience for eating from the tree was death. Well, the biggest bounded line there is is that you're going to hell and you're going to heaven. So, so I think now the question is: Do we have some sort of post mortem opportunity to choose the in Christ community? Right. And does God? I don't know. Or does God just? I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, but but check this out in Romans five. Okay. <laughs> um, and there are lots of really smart people who who buy eternal tonch, conscious torment. And who am I compared to them? You're Mike Erie. Well, I'm some schmo. That's for sure. So now we're in five chapter chapter five verse twelve. Oh, and this is where Paul begins very practically to speak of sin and death as powers 
Therefore, just as sin entered the cosmos, the world, through one man. Cosmos. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And death then entered through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. All lack the image of God. At the point, what Paul's saying, at the point of human rebellion, sin and death entered the cosmos. It's like, it's, it's, it's the forces of chaos and disorder that we met in Genesis 1 through 3. Right now, Paul's giving them names, sin and death. And, um, and, and again, I mean, this is where Gombas and others will point out that Paul is using sin and death as subjects of sentences that have verbs attached to them, mm-hmm. which, you know, is kind of unique. Um, but that these cosmic powers that are afoot in this realm of outside of Christ, they enslave us, um, <coughs> excuse me, in so many relational ways that, that Paul can simply say, we are filled with adakia. We are filled with wickedness or unrighteousness. Paul says, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin has supercharged, has been supercharged by the giving of Torah. And this is, um, this is a gombas thing that is super compelling. Um, and it's, and it's I, I'm blown away by how sophisticated and nuanced his argument. I just want to draw attention to his genius and move on. Um, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift of Jesus is not like the trespass of Adam. For if the many died by the trespass of one man. Now, when he says, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, he means all. Correct? It's a communal. Yes. Yeah. For the many, the all yeah. of us. <laughs> For if the, the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So if Paul, if Adam's many references all people, then Jesus's many references all people. And then notice, nor can the gift of God be compared to the result of one man's sin. Adam's work is far surpassed by Jesus's, in other words. Notice, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of justice reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, this is where it gets super confusing. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so the righteous act of Jesus resulted in justification for all people. For just as the disobedience of the one man, the many, again all, were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man, the many, all, will be made righteous. Now, who is the object of the all here? I mean, is it the Roman house churches? Is it all humanity? I don't know, but it raises interesting questions because, yeah. yeah. And, and, And again, I don't, I'm no, like, I, I'm, I'm such a nobody, but all this does is just 
open it up to be bigger than I thought it was. Yes, absolutely. That's all it does. Now, that can be terrifying for some of us. And it doesn't mean we have to go jumping onto the heresy train or whatever. It just it just means that part of the excavation we do as disciples of Jesus is to go, oh, I mean, maybe Gombus and McKnight and Inti are all off on their commentary in Romans the way that I think a lot of the reforming and reformers were right. off on their commentary in Romans. That could be it too. The issue is what what um, best produces a fruitful community, and I'm not. I think there is good fruit in the Christian tribe, but there is a whole heck of a lot of bad fruit. Um, and I think the the salvation story that's been told and repeated is partly um, the result of and a major contrib- contributing factor to the bad fruit. Totally. <laughs> well, I know you agree. <laughs> well, I mean, when you lay, like, you know, you keep you keep giving caveats that this is a super high altitude overview and that you're skipping the stuff or whatever, but you, you know, we d- you just did a huge lineage from Genesis through Romans and you see these threads that are clear. And when you look at the work that Gombus is doing and that kind of stuff where they're, um, you know, it's like you're, it's like you're studying syntax. It's like, this is how a sentence works. Mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. what these words are doing. This is yes. what it says. It's not an argument. Right. It's just like, this is how these things translate out. And then when they translate that way and then still, or even more so accentuate those threads and those themes that run through the entire thing, it's difficult to argue with. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like you said, it opens up to a much larger world, which you can do with a little bit of the confidence of the inarguability of the text. Well, no, I don't. I wouldn't say the text is inarguable. Or I, I think mean, every, in lieu of what I just said, everything that I just said is disputed. Yeah, and, but I'm saying uh, this is where you can have, or where I'll, I'll just speak for myself, where yeah. I would find confidence in the overview that you did, and then the work that people like Gombus and uh, McKnight yeah. and those are doing is that it enables me to see the congruencies, the intentional congruencies that are helpful for me to to launch from. Like if it's if it's steps, it's being able to step onto one step, feel fairly confident that step is holding as I step to the next. Yes. And in a staircase that's gonna be going for a while, not one that there's only one more step and I'm on the platform. Right, right, right. I'm just gonna overly metaphor yeah. everything. No, it's good, dude. And and I think that when we talk about the word saved, there's the the story of of going to heaven when you die. Right. Which is I think being rightly called into question. Yeah. Um because if the story really is about the kingdom of God, um as God rests in a temple and God is looking for a new creation space where he can dwell with people. And Paul says in Christ old creation gone, new creation is here. I mean, all of that takes on new relevance um, and meaning um, in this telling of the, of yeah, the story, totally. right? And that, and at the end of the Bible, the, the bride coming down from heaven in the form of a city where God will now dwell with people in new creation, yeah. right? In non-polluted temple space, still embodied. Um, I mean, that... <laughs> It, to me, it, it's 
it, it tries to answer the question, what was the point of Jesus's death and resurrection if it wasn't just the standard, well, he took the penalty and punishment of sin? Yeah. Now, I think there's part of that that's true. The wages of sin, Paul says, is death, but he's talking realms in, yeah. in there, totally. right? Yeah. So I think what Jesus does is he absorbs, he comes in a body of flesh. He lives and breathes the molecules of wrath and sin and death. And then they do their worst. The wrath, the wrath was poured out on Jesus. I don't think it was God's anger. I think it was the, the powers and the principalities yeah. who Paul even says are the ones that crucified Christ. Yeah. And, um, and, and Jesus absorbs um, the, the atmosphere of wrath and sin and death, and they destroy him. Yeah. But in his death, um, they themselves are destroyed. I think that's, that's what Paul's getting at, like in Colossians um, 1 and 2, that God, he has disarmed the powers and principalities. And the reason the resurrection is so important is not only that God vindicates the, the mode of life that Jesus demonstrated of service and agape and self-sacrifice, but that God now has launched the new creation project um, through Jesus. And, and that is why Paul's riff in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection is so significant because what Paul's saying is what God did in Jesus, he's going to do for the whole world. Yeah. That, that the powers were condemned in the death of Jesus. They themselves died. And, he, and even as Paul will say, death could not contain him. Um, then you just open or, up the whole or when Paul says, now and not yet with that. Like, why does yeah, that Hold on, not... hold on. And Paul will say things like, Jesus became sin, that we might become righteousness. Right, so it's it's not it's like it's it's bigger than just okay. Here, you know, Jesus was thinking of me, and um, when I looked at porn the first time, or when I lied, um, Jesus was thinking about me on the cross. Right. I don't know that that is <coughs> the best way to picture what was happening there. You'd be having a um, lot of thoughts. Well, and not only that. Uh, N.T. Wright, oh my goodness, I mean, this this just blows my brain, and I just don't, I don't even know it's right, but it's congruent with other pieces that I think are right, but he says in it's Romans 8, yeah, I think there was a class uh, in his seminary that was, N.T. Wright is wrong, and it was just going through all those writings and showing, so he's certainly not infallible, um, but he mentioned in Romans 8, Paul has this saying where he God condemns sin in the flesh of Jesus. Um, and and it's I don't know what what that means, but here was NT's point. And it's congruent with some things that Gamba says about Romans 5 um, and uh, 6 and 7. That the Torah was given and that Jesus came as the full image in obedience to Torah, so that sin and death and all the powers would be drawn to one place at one time. Just give me goosebumps. And destroyed um, through the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. That's the picture. And um, and then and then the question: Well, well why are they? Why are they? The power is still here, and that's that's the story of time that we need to tell next. <laughs> all right, Jeez. this. 
Two episodes was the story of space. We'll do one more on the story of time. Same Is that bat okay? Time, same bat channel. Yeah. yeah. I mean, guys, I know this is so thick, and I applaud you for <laughs> trying to make it through when you're doing laundry or, um, you know, washing your car or whatever it is. But um, I, I personally, and, and some of this is, is, you know, my personality, but Tim and I both share sort of this mission. I mean, I, I, um, I want to live faithfully to Jesus. And the answers and the slogans and the cliches that were not at all uh, maliciously intentioned um, don't work and don't help for the the discussions we're having about things. Yeah. Um, and I just think they're, you know, to what the original, uh, one of the original emailers asked, right? There's just a better way um a more faithful way to tell the story um because i i think for lots of us um the message doesn't point to the kingdom at all the message points to all of the abuses of the church mm-hmm. and um and we've done such a poor job embodying even that message that um but but I, I i question whether or not we can't help but be malformed because of the narrow slice you know that that we all started with and so listen i i believe that you can enter the in christ sphere and realm any way imaginable right a thief on a cross can do it uh yeah. a mo- an immoral woman can anoint the feet of jesus a woman with an issue of blood can touch the hem of his robe. I, I don't. I don't think there are. The, the, I don't think the gospel are the entrance requirements. Yeah. I think that we'll be so surprised at people who've encountered Jesus in the in the kingdom beyond whatever walls or agencies of the church or parachurch. Um, it will be. It will be incredibly shocking to us. Um, but what is it that we're saved from? Well, this is the beginning of the time story. We're saved both now and not yet. Uh, by living and being transformed in the image of Christ, we um, are set free from the destructive patterns of wrath, of self-seeking, of boasting, of harming, of um, revenge, of um, uh, self-aggrandizement, if that's even how to say that. Um, all of those of division, hatred, animosity, and there, there is wrath for those now. There is yeah. very much a given overness um, that exists now um, that does not exist when we are conformed to the image of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and I also think that, um, and this is why Paul says we're saved in three tenses, right? We have been saved. There was a decisive act by God in the world to defeat the powers and the principalities um, and to create cosmic space where we can now relearn what it is to be fully human. So what we're saved from are are the destructive dynamics of sin, wrath, death, um, and the powers. Paul says even the powers, he warns Christians all the time about the powers because if they live in certain ways, they subject themselves again to the powers. So interesting. That's what we have been saved from. That's what we are being saved from. 
And that's what, and we, that's will what we will be saved from. from. Yes. But I think what the Bible teaches is that whole other sphere, that, that atmosphere of wrath, of chaos, of disorder, call it all the names, this present age, the age of sin and death, right? Call it all the names, flesh. The whole picture is doomed to destruction. Mm-hmm. It is self-consumptive um, and, will, and ultimately will destroy itself. I think yeah. God guarantees that will happen. So yeah, that and we new see creation it in our own little realm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's why Paul is constantly writing to the church, not the world. He's writing to the church, not about their relationship to the world, but about to each other. Because if they do not act in ways that are Christ-like, they subject themselves yet again to the powers and the principalities and the dynamics of wrath in the present. Yeah. I think we are saved from something in the future, which is the ultimate destruction and defeat of everything else. If you are not in the community in Christ, then um, you're subject to the, the, the self-destructive self-consumptive nature of wrath. Yeah. And not just by membership, but by what it means to fully embody that correct vocation and that, Yes. Full human this is, goodness. listen, this is not God do, doing something extra. This yeah. is the nature of what idolatry does when we've sided with chaos. Yeah. And uh, the powers, um, the powers, instead of being banished so that God could rest, now the powers are afoot in the temple. And so, like, um, and that's why the New Testament uses so much temple language for the church or priesthood language for the church is that there's new cosmic space being created where we are a temple, expanding the borders of Eden again, if you will, in the midst of polluted cosmic space. For those outside the cosmic space, I don't know if they're pulled in magnetically. I don't know if they're offered a chance. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is everything that's not part of new creation is destroyed. Yeah. And so, um, so I live not fearing hell. I live fearing the dynamics of wrath and destruction that, I've, that I have come into contact with when I have lived very poorly. Yeah, which I, changes accountability, that changes like... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't, so let's say take pornography. I don't look at the struggle of pornography as, ooh, here's an individual sin that dwells in my body, and I'm fighting this individual sin and claiming my victory in Christ. What I look at is, I, as an image bearer, am sending into the world, into creation, um, uh, destructive social dynamics, exploitative social dynamics that open me up to the powers and principalities and wrath, even as a Jesus follower in in Christ's space. Yeah. And so I've tasted all of those, and I don't want to do those. I don't want to live that mode of life. I don't want to live that way. Well, especially I just when think, you, your head comes out of that cycle for a moment, you come out of the pollution and breathe yes. fresh air and yes. really understand what it, like oh crap that's a <laughs> like that's what that is that's what i'm doing that's what i'm feeding that's what i'm cycling through over and over yes. again like it's yes yeah. yep and and those 
cycles of wrath just keep coming round and round with more and more yep. momentum. Yep. You know, I mean, and and the world's always been awful. It's not like it's newly awful, although we have yeah. technology that allows us to do heinous things on such a massive scale. But we're we're also aware of it. And yeah. the awareness of it is a danger because it, it tempts us to think that we're not the problem. Yeah. And so I have to look at my image bearing and say, okay, what what does it mean to work, to serve, to rule over my tiny, tiny, tiny yeah. space as a husband, together. as a father, as an a co-image bearer to my wife and children? I mean, it just yeah. it throws all of that into relief and 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 Gambus had this line that totally changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. And I say that like so sincerely. Um, he talked about how the church is to engage in new creation dynamics and not old creation dynamics. New, new creation dynamics are things like uh, confession, honesty, lament, hospitality, uh, welcome, belonging, um, old creation dynamics are things like exclusion and division and slander. Um, old creation dynamics are things like coercion, manipulation, um, guilt and shame that are used to manipulate. Um, and, and, and for me, the, the thing I've realized about myself and the American church, and we've talked about this before, so no shock, is how often the church uses old creation dynamics to try to achieve new creation ends and that that basic failure is the reason the church we are the subject of wrath in our culture we are subject to all the dynamics of wrath and the powers and principalities right now absolutely because we've not imaged jesus yeah we've imaged power and we've imaged image and we've imaged, you know, um, importance and significance and celebrity. And because of that, because of that idolatry, we've not imaged Jesus to the world. We've imaged the world back to the world and are now yeah. subject to the same dynamics of wrath, sin, and death that are, are self-consuming everywhere else. Yeah, and we've taken glory and honor and immortality and shoved them into that space and used them as, you know tarnished stones i keep thinking about thanos through this whole thing especially when you're talking about like sin and death entering through this portal and then he takes the stones and he becomes more powerful and we've given over to that and you know That's marvel is the gospel absolutely or i was thinking of like the third matrix where neo is blinded and he and trinity are flying to the machine city and they're trying to get over all the machine defenses and they go up over the clouds yeah and for a moment, Neo can't see it, but he can feel it on his face. But Trinity sees sunshine for the yeah, first time totally. in her entire image. life. That is how I feel at times when I encounter stuff like this. I, I find it so compelling and invigorating. I can hardly stand it. Like, um, because, because so much of my Christian life has been spent in those old creation dynamics yeah. and and the suffocating nature of the idolatry therein you know and when you get a glimpse of no no is god is god really is he really this good i mean like yeah. whoa 
That's that's um I mean that seems like good news. I don't know that about seems you. like good news. All right. So kids, God bless us everyone. Um <laughs> it's Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. We are um yep. More episodes coming on save, dog on it. Um <laughs> because <laughs> we haven't even gotten in the story of time it's huge so it is huge and we'll we'll tackle that one next episode and hopefully get to some implications maybe for <laughs> uh because because we can't separate saved from discipled mm-hmm. the way that some the way that i was taught to like justification and sanctification i was told are two different processes right justification saves us sanctification it turns us into jesus yeah. and that's just not true yeah on this accounting so i want to i want to talk about how we grow into this cosmic space called new creation yeah all right friends well may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you May the Lord lift up his uh, countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. Until next time, friends. Thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on Instagram at voxology podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for walking the long road with us.